G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 101, uh, brought to you by Strike GPS Tracking, keeping your assets in check, whether it's one a vehicle or a fleet of 10,000. Uh, joining me tonight is our fleet of two, um, one regular, another uh, blow-in, but he's a very welcome blow-in because he pops in every now and again, adds his sparkle, he's, he's, he's back by popular request following feedback, um, Hugh Cavill otherwise known as Barbarian, mate. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. The Waratahs are winning. The Reds are playing well. <laughs> Rebels and Force are still losing, but at least they're losing by less than they were. Well, in, so. in, indeed. And Brumby's top of the table. I mean, Australia Australia dominating. Ah, Brumby's crushed. They crushed the bar on the weekend, the Brumbies. It was a great <laughs> performance. Held smash, them to nil. Smash those four points. And <laughs> um, joining me as usual, Scott. Scott Allen, mate. How are you? Good guys, how are you? Very good. Listen to yeah, this. it's it's good. You know, I reckon we're actually a really good chance to get three teams into the finals from Australia. You you reckon? Well, oh, no, a good chance. I'm not saying it'll happen, but <laughs> there's a you, chance. You're saying there's a mathematical possibility. Well, when was the last time we could say that in the last few years? No, that's 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 very true. You know, we we've been hanging on two and saying could we possibly do it, and we did it with the Tars and the Reds in 2011. But you know, there's still a good chance we could get three in. Yeah. Well, look, we've got a fair bit to talk about tonight, so we'll go back to that those positive vibes in a minute, uh, and then you know talk about a few things going on. Obviously, rake over the Lions tour uh, as it starts to gather momentum, and then look ahead to next week. But first, joining me now from Canberra is our next guest, Nick White. Mate, I understand you're on babysitting duties tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, uh, I enjoy Fortu's young boys, Nora Maddox, and. Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm probably about the mental level of you know, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, so it's, it's not really babysitting, it's just hanging out. So, uh, if they're Fox's kids, they're probably about the same size as well, aren't they? Yeah, Noah, the oldest one, is nine. He's, he's, not, he's about my eyebrows, so he, he, he even jokes around as a nine-year-old. He says, Nick, you know, I reckon by the time I'm 12, I'll have you, and it's... <laughs> It's not really a joke. It's pretty serious. <laughs> oh, I can, I can just imagine, mate. So you, you got them in front yeah. of the movie. What you, what do you got them watching? Uh, look, I had the choice out of a whole, you know, a whole blockbuster section, and uh, and Maddox, the youngest one, chose Pitch Perfect. So okay, <laughs> they're, they're they're going nuts out there in the lounge room. That's just a musical. It's just a musical, and they just sing along. So oh, awesome. But, It'll be painful to sit in front of. Actually, no, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like the movie as well. <laughs> uh, you're in touch with your, your your feminine side there, mate. It's good to see, mate. You, you've had the weekend. You've had the weekend off. How are you feeling? You re- rejuvenated or what? Yeah, yeah, really. I, you know, it was kind of a week I needed. Um, I had three days off. Then we trained again on uh, on Wednesday, and then had another three days off. So you know, it was it was good. My you know, mm-hmm. body feels really good now. So ready to rip in. Because that was something people were talking about quite a lot. That seemed to be the thing. People saying you guys are just, you had a, a long old slog of rugby together. Um, would, would you agree with that? And has this maybe helped with that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So, um, it was probably just the, the four African teams in a row, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of really, 
really stung us. And then, uh, you know, we, we were lucky enough to get a couple of wins there, you know, starting with that, you know, Highlanders after that. So, but we'll, yeah, it was just those so South African games. They were just so physical, the South African guys, and it really stung us coming back from Africa and then playing the Bulls and the Kings, and it just seemed to be just African after African after African. And, and yeah, so then uh, we had a bit of a break, but the, the bodies were pretty, you know, well and truly up for a rest by the time we got this by. And, uh, yeah, it couldn't have come quick enough. And you know, in terms of my body, I, I'm pretty happy with the week off. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel 110% now and, and ready to go. And, you know, I guess the season now, you know, there's like five games to go until finals. So you can kind of start, you know, it becomes pretty realistic and every game becomes, you know, very important. And, you know, whereas when we're in the middle of that nine-week block, it was it was kind of like looking, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? Whereas, you know, there's plenty of light to be seen now. And, you know, as I said, it's all pretty real. Cool. So, Nick, before we look forward at this weekend's game, just... Can we get your thoughts on the Crusaders game? How how do you think the team went? You know, were the Crusaders just that good, or were you guys a little bit flat on that day? Uh, I, I don't think we're flat. Um, you know, the Crusaders were, were very good. Uh, I don't think we can take anything away from them, but just seemed uh, you know we defended you know our hearts out, and then uh, every time we got kind of in a position where we could attack, we just really couldn't string phases together. You know, between, you know it was either. The Crusaders, you know, great defence and, and, and great pilfer, pilfering, or you know, we just simple errors and just drop the ball, and then you know, little things where we, we seem to have them, you know, on their line, and you think they, you know, even if they were going to kick it out, we'd still be in attack, and then Ellis had dropped onto the left boot and kick it 60 metres. So it just seemed everything seemed to go their way, and and things just kind of weren't going our way. But you know, they're a class act, and that you give them the smallest margin like that. Uh, you know, that dag try, given the small, smallest error right on their 22, they'll take you 90 metres and, and really sting you. So it was kind of, I guess, a little bit of a wake-up call in that, you know, we need to really cherish possession, and, and I don't think we did that enough. But, yeah. no, I don't think we were flat. We were, if anything, we were just a little bit too too excited when we got the ball. You know, the few moments we did get the ball, we just uh, we coughed it up too easily and, and really weren't able to, I guess, uh, string some phases together and, you know, build any momentum, I think. I think we had our first line out, and our first line out of scrum about 15 minutes into the game, so we defended for that long, and then you know, we, we turned that straight over, then got a line out 25 minutes into the game, and, and turned that over within two phases, and you just, you know, I guess it's a side like Crusaders, you, you can't afford to be doing that, so mm. a, a big learn, learning for us, big learning curve, you know, they're, they're definitely going to be a final side, so I don't think there's any bigger learnings than that. And because, mate, just talking about them and, and the Crusaders, I mean, when we were having a bit of a yarn about this last week on the podcast and we were talking about that result, it seemed to me, I mean, you guys have been fantastic at playing territory this year, um, you know, with you know, you know, your boot and Moggy's boot. You know, but, you know, the Crusaders, especially with Dan Carter, they're, they're pretty good at playing that as well when they need to. And maybe in the wash-up afterwards, did you guys go, wow, you know, they kind of managed to play you at that game as well. I mean, you know, did you could you see that you were up against people who, you know, pretty smart in that sort of a game? Yeah, well, we knew straight away when they dropped Dag and put Tom Taylor in. He's got a fantastic boot. We knew exactly that they were going to take it to us in the kicking duel, and yeah. and we spoke about it all week. And then you see that first uh, first um, passage of kicking duel when um, they keep the dead. I you know, turned to Moggy and said, you know, that's that's their mindset and that's what's going to be. And yeah. and it was all game. It was just when they got. You know, when the kicking duel, they they won the kicking duel and they got the ball. They strung phases together and really hurt us. And then when we kicking, you know, win the kicking duel and get down in you know a place where we could attack, we just didn't use it well enough. As I said before, you know, we uh we had the you know coughed up 
you know, either second or third phase or, or didn't even get away from our set piece. So it was just hard. They were just, you know, it was just a case of they used the ball that they got in the, you know, the AB zone better than, than what we did. Yeah. And, uh, uh, they they probably did kick a little bit better, but I don't think it was that. It was just, you know, when we got down there, we didn't use it well enough. One of the things that the Crusaders have done in the past when they've gone well, and the All Blacks also do it, when you look at their uh, penalties and where their penalties are and whether the opposition actually take kicks, you know, take the penalties as kicks or not, they usually kind of get away with it. So they've usually got a very, uh, actually quite a high penalty rate, but a low penalty, you know, opposition penalty conversion rate. And actually, Scott, you know, ran some numbers the other day. And actually, in this year's competition, it's you guys who have that profile. You know, you give away a fair few penalties, but actually, you've got the lowest rate of where the opposition actually kicks their penalties. Is that something you guys kind of talk about? Is your discipline on the field? Um, that's the first time I've, uh, I've heard about it. Um, no, not really. You know, we've I think there's no, no, you know, no hiding that, that we're pretty hard on the ball, and mm. and that you know. That they were, you know, we're pretty good at that, and we we like to pride ourselves on that. And uh, no, I think yeah, it's nothing we've spoken about. Um, yeah, just uh, I guess that's just the way it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. But but you don't have a call. They're not taking the points. Yeah, you don't have a call in the team. No, no, not not at all. Um, yeah, we leave it up to decision making. Uh, Laurie's very good in the uh, whole preseason, in that. Uh, you know, play, players around the ruck, you know, making decisions whether or not they think they can win the ball, they think they can't, and you know, whether they can you know, have a have a fair crack at it. So there's no call. It's just it's it's on the person around the ball. They think they they can get onto it. And, you know, obviously, you'd like like Moen and George are obviously going to have a, have a go, and they're, they're pretty good at it. So yeah, no, I think uh, there's no certainly no call now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, Nick, you got the Waratahs this week, obviously the big grudge match. Um, a question I've got with the new conference structure that we've had for a few years, you're playing the Aussie teams twice. In your pre-game preparation, are you drawing on a lot of the same stuff you drew on in round four against the Waratahs, or is it, or is it kind of like a clean slate, you're going back to the drawing board and looking at it again? Uh, you've got to look at it again. You know, they're at a completely different side to what they were in round four. You know, that's, that's without saying you know, the way they're playing at the moment, so... No, we've looked at them, you know, as the way they've been playing the last couple of weeks, and uh, you know, trying to put strategies in place to to nullify the way they've been playing. But you know, we've we've also got to just you know clean up our own backyard and and clean up a couple of things we didn't do well against the Crusaders, and uh, and that's where we started this week. And then uh, yeah, is that one of those strategies everyone tackles, Izzy? Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that's our strategy <laughs> every week. Just everyone <laughs> to make the they're one-on-one tackles and, and to get 100%, but it, it never happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, obviously, he's a hard man to tackle, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. No, I think if everyone's going in with a strategy to do it, no one's really come up with a very good one. <laughs> I mean, from looking at that Stormers game on the weekend, I mean, was there anything, you, any lessons you could pull out of that? I mean, any that you can that you could tell us, I suppose, don't want to give the game away, but, I mean, certainly they, they took a tactic to kick away from Israel Flau, and I... Certainly, you know they they use their usual physical sort of um, defence, especially out wide. I mean, is is there anything that you saw in particular that you think everyone else might have missed? Um, not really. Uh, I think uh, it was obviously quite dewy when they when they played, and it's the Warriors still kind of played the way they've wanted to play all year. And, and hats off to them; it was quite impressive, and you know it paid off for them. So I think uh, I didn't really get anything. I think the the Stormers were, you know, they've they've always been a good defensive team. So I think any team that plays the Stormers really struggles to put many points on them. 
and uh, and the trials just want to show how how good they are and that they put two trials on them. So any team that puts two trials on the storms, that's that's pretty impressive. So I think they just cars again showed you know how how their attacks really coming along and and yeah I think uh, as you said before you just got to make your tackles and and just hope the best on the night that you know you make those tackles and if you don't the the tires really do sting you especially bikes like Izzy you know if he gets into a little bit of space you know, his finishing abilities are getting better and better. And Nick, just a bit of a question on halfback play. I mean, in days gone by, the halfback's role was to distribute the ball early from the base of the ruck. But as we go further into development, you know, there's a lot now where the halfback will actually take those couple of steps, you know, shape to the line to at least try and hold the inside defenders before giving the ball. And, you know, that's, as you know, all about decision-making. When, uh, when do you make the decision or start thinking about the decision as to whether you're going to look for an opportunity to run or whether you're going to give it early? Um, so I think just usually I'll, uh, you know, if, if we're getting slow ball, or the defence is quite set. I'm probably not going to run. Uh, it's usually off uh, off quick ball. That's when opportunities most mostly come about for for having a bit of a run. So he's off. Yeah, like I said, off off a bit of quick ball. If yeah. There's a chance to get out and get to a second defender, and the defensive line's probably usually you know, pretty you know, pretty frazzled. You know, there's probably a chance to to cut off some players and and you know, let the ball go. But yeah, it's it's a pretty difficult one. And you know, I guess usually just you see space, or if you're someone like Will, you just he's pretty good at spotting some some forwards and having a go at them as well. So, and just uh, for the young yeah, halfbacks that might be listening, yeah, just for the young halfbacks that might be listening, making that decision, is it fair to say that you're making that as you're coming to the ball, not getting to the ball, then making a decision? Oh, no, definitely going to the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just having a little look just before you go into the rock. You know, it's pretty hard once you go down there and you're looking for the ball to, to have your eyes up and looking. You're probably too close in to see the wider picture. So maybe from five metres, you know, running towards the rock, you've got a bit of a, you know, a bit of a good view of that open side, the, the side that you're running, running to to have a look whether or not it's on. Uh, if there's, I don't know, if there's someone, someone big like Foxy, I probably wouldn't have a run. <laughs> but yeah, if there's a bit of space, have a go. But, yeah, I'd, I don't mind. I don't like running at the big guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in terms of your kicking, uh, which we Matt, as Matt mentioned is a big important part of what you do, do you guys have a kicking coach at the Brumbies? Yeah, we do. We're lucky enough to have uh, Damien Hill, uh, kicking coach from up at Newcastle. He does a few NRL teams as well, and uh, yeah, he's been pretty good. We've had him since since we started last year, and I'm uh, really starting to get the the you know reap the rewards of it this year. You know, last year it was just about uh, you know, a lot of blokes hadn't really done much kicking practice before and really finding the. But now a lot of the backs are really kicking really well, and uh, Damien's had a, a big part in that. Mate, just on those sorts of things. So you know, for for guys who, because I think it's something in Australia that we haven't been great at over the years is you know our positional kicking. You know, what sort of drills are the things that you've kind of worked your way up to, and what are sort of some of the killer drills, or not drills, but practices that you guys do you know with the kicking i think first of all you just got to get the the basics of kicking the ball well like you're not going to you're obviously not going to be able to kick under pressure and exactly where you want to kick it if you don't have a, a good solid kicking base kicking skill set down first so a lot of our kicking is just getting that down pack you know kicking rather off one or two steps rather than you know three or four steps because sometimes you're under pressure and you've got to get that away mm-hmm. so a lot of it's sad and then a lot of it's you know turning 
you know, facing away from where you've got to then turning around, catching the ball and, and looking, you know, getting your eyes up to look to find space. Uh, just little things like that. And, uh, you know, the, the more you do of that, you know, the better you get at it. And then when you get put in pressure situations, you'll actually find that you'll be able to kick, kick better. And do you do any practices like, almost like live practices where, you know, I don't know, it's almost like you're looking, you know, to find those, the space, um, you, you know, with maybe, you know, defenders down on the field and you've got to find the space or is it more just around those, that kind of clutch moment you talked about and that you can just do it, you know, when, when you're in game? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really emulate exactly what happens on a field, but, uh, yeah. you know, we try, try our best. And then I guess the practice really comes just when uh, when we try and fifteen on fifteen and and just getting in and doing it there. That's probably the best best spot to actually really practice it is when we're we're training against each other fifteen on fifteen. Yeah, and you'll do that. So you you, you yeah. guys you guys will do do kicking in in situations like that. Yeah, well, you know, when we're doing fifteen on fifteen and there's a turnover, we'll certainly, you know, if there's a corner to to, to be plugged, well then we'll we'll get out and have a crack at it. So it'll, it'll just be like a. You know, a normal game situation. If the opportunity comes up, mm. there's an opportunity to kick it. Well, then we'll definitely do it. Yeah. Okay. Now, mate, since we talked to you last, some guy called George Smith has turned up at the Brumbies. Um, what's it like training, living, eating with a guy with a guy like that? What What's he like to be around? Yeah, good. He's just a he's just another guy. He's uh, just a guy that's done a hell of a lot in Super Rugby and international rugby. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's you know, for someone like me that really didn't really speak to George before he left, he come back and you know, it, it doesn't matter who who you are in the club, he'll, he'll treat you the same. He's just one of those guys who he's just really humble and he you know he won't you won't go and sit down with you know a certain bunch of people at lunch or breakfast or anything like that. He'll sit down with anyone and mm-hmm. and just have a chat to them. So he's just a really nice guy. Can't really speak high enough of him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's just he's just good to have around because you know you just you kind of you like. Know, <laughs> A little bit like you're a little kid. You just kind of hang off every word that he says and really listen yeah. <laughs> really intently. And, and he just yeah, he's just one of those guys. Good to be around. And yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's seen and done just a little bit, hasn't he? And he, he plays quite a a bit of a play playmaking role. Like, um, have you? I mean, do you guys do you talk about what he's going to do there, or does he just kind of you know he just plays it off you know off the bat as he sees it? Um, no, he kind of just. Just does that does that off the cuff. You know, obviously we have certain certain plays and certain you know, structures around you know him having the ability to do it. But you know, some guys don't quite have the ability, and George definitely does have the ability to, to throw passes or go himself, or you know, even as he did on the weekend, put in a little grubber. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of, a lot of it's structure, but also you know, a lot of it's you know having having the ability to to see an opportunity and and do what he does, which is you know. Obviously, only a guy like George Smith can do it. But, mate, so, look, you uh, wrote a little piece for us a little while ago, which was talking about uh, a few hijinks and a little battle that you had running with Bernie Larkin. Mate, what, what happened with that? Did, did, did that escalate, or um, was, was, that, was that the end of it with Bernie? Uh, it was a little bit the end of it. We, the next game was up against Queensland Reds, and it was a little more serious. Not a little bit more serious. It was just a lot more serious than that. And yeah, so I think, uh, you know, we weren't as, you know, we were in Dunedin for a whole week and we were up in Queensland for a couple of nights. So it was pretty close to game day. And, uh, and that's the last time that we've been away. So I'm not sure something might happen in <laughs> Sydney, but I doubt it. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's kind of fizzed out. Yeah. And, uh, I've, I've called for a truce, but yeah. Well, that's a problem though, mate. If you, if, if you, if you break first, I mean, who knows what he's going to do now? <laughs> he, he, he could nah. ramp it up. 
as I said, there's there's no line in the sand. <laughs> as Mum said, be good or be good at it, and <laughs> I'm good at it. <laughs> All right, good one, mate. Well, look, um, yeah, good to talk to you. I mean, we don't want to leave those kids home alone uh, too much. There, uh, who knows what they could get up to. Um, but uh, look, you know, good luck for the weekend. Thank you. And uh, you know, and uh, good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks, mate. Thanks, buddy. All right, so that was Nick White. Uh, always great to chat with him. I suspect he had his ear on the other room a little bit um, and, you know, looking out for Fox's kids to whether they're going to come in and rip his head off or not. Let's now cast our minds back to the weekend. We were just talking about how good some of that rugby was. Um, and it uh, started off... Uh, you know, with a, a game with an Australian team involved, uh, the force. And I think the question that we all had on watching this one was, we're not quite sure how it got there, but it turned out to be a hell of a close game. So it finished up 22-21, um, and it could have almost, well, it could have definitely gone either way by the end of it. Um, you know, I think both of you guys saw this one. Hugh, what was your take on the game? Yeah, well, as you said, I mean, the force almost got there, which was much to my surprise and all the people that were in the bar watching it with me I think were in the same boat. It got to a point at about the 65th minute where you kind of looked up at the scoreboard and said, oh, shit, they're within a point here. Yeah. You know, it didn't look like they were in the, in, in touch and, and it looked like at one point the Chiefs would blow them away. But they hung on and they grafted and they pulled themselves back into the game and they just kept chipping away. And then you know, with ten minutes to go, they were they were in with a sh- in with a red hot chance. Oh, yeah. And then then as well, when when they got um, Kieran Longbottom Sinbin, you thought, oh, you know, that's that's going to be it for them. That's going to be curtains. They're going to get a toweling. And um, no, they they grafted and they hung in there. And they in the end, you know, with only a few minutes left, had a, had a chance to win it. Um, so I suppose I suppose that's all you can ask. But uh, gee, the force. To get a win against the Chiefs away, it would have been the upset of the competition almost. Well, it would have been excellent. And actually, you know, especially for any chance that the Tars have got of making it, would have been that we need, really need the Chiefs to be dropping a few games. So it would have done the Tars a, a lot of favours. But I think you're looking at some stats there, Scott, aren't you? I mean, what, what, was, the, what was the tale of the game? Well, some of the standouts. I mean, the, Pat Dellett, Nick Cummins and Cole Goblin all, you know, had some really good numbers. And... Yeah, they played really well. Cummins coming back in, you know, trying to put his name out in front of the Wallaby selectors at the appropriate time. Um, you know, he, I thought he looked really good, mm. sort of getting back to some of that form he had on the end of the tour. Um, but Pat Dellert, he had two tries, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's a big guy. But uh, Tessman and Cowan both played pretty well in the front row, I thought. But then if yeah, you look at... It's funny. A lot of those force guys, as I'll get sorry to interrupt, Scott. I'll let you get back to it. But yeah, they're flying under the radar, aren't they? Tessman and Cowan just chalking up those good performances week after week. Yeah, well, we talked about Tessman last week, and you know he had another solid game. You know they're not not breaking down the door of people talking about them. You know being you know in the top twenty five, thirty players in the country at the moment, but they're starting to build something over there in the force, and, and they are showing some fight. As you said, they showed some fight in the game and they kept chipping away. And really, the only time that they stopped fighting were in the last two minutes, I thought. Um, you know, 78 minutes, and they get that penalty just their side of halfway, and 
whoever made the decision, but obviously C.S. Eberson said, I can have a shot at goal here, and I know the guys I was watching it with, we all said, he's no chance on a night like this of getting it 55 metres. Mm. You know, if they had kicked the ball into the corner there, they're one point down, take a line out, who knows what could have happened, but, you know, I, I sort of thought they took the soft option there to try and win it with a, a miracle goal. And then after that, you know, they get the ball kicked back to them inside the last minute. And rather than trying to have a run, Eberson decides that he's going to kick it. Um, into touch. Into touch. Mm. And basically the Chiefs get the line out, get the ball, that's the end of game. So it was like throwing the hands in the air and saying, getting the force is more important than trying to win the game. Yeah. And I thought they'd fought so hard, it would have been great to see them, you know, go all the way and have a crack. And if you lose it and you lose your, your bonus points, so be it. But I, I, sort of, I thought it was a very meek finish from them, which was disappointing given how well they'd gone. I mean, I think a lot of C.S. Everson's decision-making under pressure has been suspect for me um, throughout the games, especially when he's, when he's played at 5'8". Um, so, uh, you know, he just doesn't, seem, just doesn't seem like a happy camper uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and it's, you know, it's important when they get to those close finishes. But, I mean, one of the interesting things is about this uh, chief side is, in, in my opinion, you know, what they managed to eradicate the last couple of years was the, the kind of the brain farts and the, you know, the, 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 the big periods where they'd turn their brains off. They managed to get rid of that last couple of years and you saw the difference because they'd always been able to be a great attacking side. Uh, but this seems to be creeping back into their game now. And you do wonder, are they really that side that's really going to push the top of the table? Yeah, well, they haven't played well in the last probably five games. Um, they started to go off the boil a bit, and then they recovered. But you know, they're really—they're not looking like the threat they were last year, obviously, and earlier this season. And you know, part of that would have to be with—you know—they had Sonny Bill Williams there last year when they needed to just get some go forward and settle the play down. There's a guy that would attract in so many defenders and could basically just punch the ball forward and create something for them. Um, Richard Kahui's a bit like that, and of course he's now injured, and you know, it looks like you know, he'd be lucky if he ever plays in New Zealand again, just go and play in Japan. So they're missing a bit of that punch, and the other thing that I think where they're actually having a lot of drama with is Cruden at fly half. Uh, he is not looking like the fly half he was last year. Mm. Okay. Well, so the other bit that I noticed about that game was where it was played. So um, I think it was played in, a, I think you pronounce it Pekaho, I could have that wrong, but my God, it looked like a suburban ground. Um, it was quite pretty, but I mean, it could only see, I mean, I don't think, well, I think there was one stand and the rest of it was just hill. Um, and it also looked damn cold uh, already over there. But um, anyway, I, I hadn't seen a, 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 a game played at a super ground like that before. It was... Uh, a bit out of the usual, like they just kind of pushed the uh, sheep off it who were grazing before. Anyway, look. Oh, I love, you know, rugby returning to those places where the players and referees can really hear your, you know, pretty rough sledges that you throw from the <laughs> sidelines. So. These modern stadiums, you just don't get that personal touch. Exactly, yeah. It makes it easier for the sledging. I like it. Um, okay. So that was the Chiefs and the Force. The Force managing to earn another Force, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, so then we had the uh, Reds and the Sharks. My goodness, what a game this was. Well, the first half anyway um, was, I th that's got to be the best half of rugby the Reds have played this year, is it, Scott? Absolutely. Probably, uh, you probably didn't see a half like that last year either. 
that was sort of some of the 2011 rugby they were playing. Mm. Um, you know, and they just, they were so free-flowing, weren't they? They just, you know, and some of the ball movement and some of the intent. Uh, and there are there are other potential tries they didn't score but looked just as exciting. Mm. And they were all just, and the, the thing was, and we talked about it last week, about the forwards being in motion and going back to coming around the corner and, Listening to Link uh, and Wilgenia in the press conference, you know, they said, I think he, he made, Link made the point that sometimes you put something away for a week and then you forget about it. And I think, you know, that probably refers to the Brumbies game where they put away the let's keep moving the ball and let's play it really tight and a lot of pick and go and go through the middle. And then they seem to have forgotten about it ever since then. But as soon as they had the forwards in motion coming around the corner and the Anthony Fienga try is the classic, the way they set it up. They just kept moving the ball around the corner, around the corner, around the corner until something came up, and then Quaid could do something with the ball. Yeah. But how about that pass that he threw for the Sayafuenga try? So that was my... I was just about to say, everyone's going on about this coast-to-coast try, which was, you know, it, it, was, it was a goodie. But actually, that was my pick of the tries, that one. Because I just thought, you know, that the pass that Cooper threw... Um, and, the, and the line that Sire ran as well to, to make it possible. I mean, how flat was that to the line? It kind of looked like there was about four sharks. If they just reached out, could have almost intercepted it. It was absolutely beautiful. That, to me, was even more, yeah, even more visually pleasing than the, the coast-to-coast. Yeah, and it was four guys. He threw it across the face of four sharks. Mm. So, so, Hugh, how, how did you feel about this game, Matt? Oh, well, it, look, it was fantastic. The first half, just to see, it was the Reds of old back. It was the 2011 Reds. And, and I said in my article today, the, the thing that's kind of, that, that gets them going is their forward pack. I mean, uh, it's, they're the unsung heroes of, of, the, of the Reds because uh, there are no flashy blokes in that forward pack. Mm. There are no, they're all grafters, you know. Ed Quirk, Jake Schatz, uh, you know, it was Ed O'Donoghue and Rob Simmons. And then in the front row, it's home slipper and filing, and it was a, it was a real eight man effort, and 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 all of their tries came because of quick ball, effective cleanouts, and good hard lines run by forwards, mm. um, and and that's what really got them going, and that's what's been missing in the past few weeks is a, a little bit of uh, dynamism at, at the ruck mm. and and in those little tight channels, and I think that was what was so pleasing to see, although. I will point out something about that coast-to-coast try, which which has been missed by a few people because I've seen a replay of it. And Will Genia, whilst running across field to his right, kicks the grubber with his left, his inside foot, and it's it's the outside of his left. I think it's a it's a remarkable kick to perform under that pressure, and he executed it perfectly. It was absolutely fantastic. So, look, I, I think it it was it was a performance the Reds needed. And yeah, the second half was a bit patchy, but the game was won at that at that point. Yeah. Um, so look, I, I think it, it was a real stand. It was a real marker to the rest of the comp that the Reds are back. You know, the Reds are here and and um, watch out. Well, you know, a guy who didn't make the Green and Gold Rugby Team of the Week, um, and I think it was a real shame uh, that he got pipped for it because I actually think he had one of the best games, in my opinion, on the ground on the night. And to your point, the role that he played was so important. Um, was Jake Schatz? Um, I thought he had an absolute perler. You know, as a trio with Quirk and Gill, they really knocked the Sharks off their stride and you know, just didn't let them play um, from from very early stage. 
But, you know, just looking at his stats here, um, he topped out in three different areas. So in both in runs, like, he, you know, he carted it up 11 times, 12 tackles, um, and he hit 11 rucks. Um, so, you know, it, it's, he, he really he stood out for me as far as somebody who put in a hell of a lot of work um, and played that role that you, that you talked about. But talking about other people who kind of stood out, I know that your man of the match, uh, Scott, was Chris. Now, everyone used to call him F. Saltier. Now, I've seen, like, the Fox Sports guys seem to have uh, little favourites when they change how they're going to name people or how they're going to talk, you know, what they're going to call them or pronounce their names. Um, ben, Tapawa, who, ben, who used to be Tapawai, has become Tapawai. And I notice uh, Chris F. Saltier, now we're calling him, is it Fayawai Saltier, I think is how people are now pronouncing it. Um, that's it. And, and that's something his mum wanted. Ah, okay. Well, then fair it's, enough. It's, I, I believe, and I, don't, I can't say I'm totally right on this, but I believe the Fayoa, or however you say it, yeah. is his mum's name, uh, and Saltier is his dad. So people had called him F. Saltier, and, and so, yeah, I, the story I read was that she sort of said, this is not right, this is your name, can they use your real name? So same as Ben Tapawai, when he went to Samoa, was told by the, the locals or the elders there that, your real name is Tapawai, not Tapawai. Uh, okay. uh, and he came back and said to everybody, I've just found out that my name has not been pronounced right. This is how it's meant to be pronounced. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, I guess if you remember, the same thing happened with Digby Iwani. It used to be Digby Ioni. Yeah. And then he was also told that's not how you say your name uh, by one of his Samoan relatives. So he also made the point and it was put out to everybody. But yeah, look, he he had a really good game, and he did a lot of things off the ball. And I know when we were watching the game, I was just blown away by the work he was doing off the ball. When you watch it on TV, everything's in tight; you couldn't see what he was doing. Right. Um, I came away from that game just thinking that kid has the potential that everyone's talked about. Mm. Um, I mean, he's been finding his feet in Super Rugby and hasn't had a real crack. He looked outstanding. So, so what was the sort of the things off the ball? That is, was it his support lines of running that you're talking about? Or what, no, what, what he, he was noticing? running the lines that were giving, if Quaid wanted to hit him, mm. he could give him that option. Right. Um, and as a result, the defence is having to look out about what he's doing and then Quaid could miss him um, or he could go to the forwards in front of him or he could go behind him. Um, and it was just because he's quite a big guy, actually, um, you know, everyone talks about the size of his legs and how strong he is. You could see defenders watching him and people pointing at him, and he wasn't getting the ball. Right. So, you know, it's part of that, you know, realigning really quickly, offering yourself as an option, and he was doing that really well. Okay. Now, the, the Reds scored all their tries in, in the first half. Um, it went quiet in the second half. Uh, any thoughts on, on what happened there? Oh, yeah, look, it, you know, they didn't play as well. And they're, again, as Hugh said, it was built on their forwards and, and their attacking structure with their forwards was good in the first half, mm. not as good in the second half. But don't forget, the game ended up with the Sharks having 60% of possession. So the, the Reds had basically all the ball in the first half and then the Sharks had all the ball in the second half. So the Reds didn't have a lot of ball the Sharks started getting off the line a lot harder and actually putting a lot of pressure on them, mm -hmm. whereas in the first half they just seemed to be like, you know, deers in the headlights, sort of struck by what's going to happen next. Um, 
and they just went back to doing some basics well. So the Reds didn't play as well, no doubt about it. But the credit with the Sharks is that they they just went back and they said in the press conference that what they'd done is gone back to what they had planned to do in the first place. Move up hard on them, pressure the Reds, um, go to their rolling wall, which you saw they did a lot of. Um, and that took a, you know, a lot of possession in the game. But just back to Hugh's point about the, the left-footed kick from Will, um, we asked him about that in the press conference. And he said, um, did I? Oh, I was just running across field thinking, am I going to pass it? Am I going to kick it? What am I going to do? And I kicked it. I wasn't really aware that it was a left-foot kick. <laughs> so, oh, to have the talent. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay. All righty, so look, that's, that's that one. Uh, great win for the Reds. Uh, let's hope they've rediscovered their mojo. Um, the, the next game, which was the overnight game, was the Cheetahs actually getting pipped by the Hurricanes. Damn them for my tipping. Um, 34-39. Either of you guys catch this game? I suspect it must have been a doozy, was it? I didn't see this one. No. Um, is, Hugh, you, you, you obviously didn't, did you? No, no. Um, I didn't, although I think this is, Mark's for not only me, but a lot of people, the first time we tipped the Cheetahs in 2013, and I think it might be the last. <laughs> yeah, the buggers. Yeah, they stuffed my tipping. Alrighty, 34-39. Um, something tells me that must have been a, a hell of a game to watch, uh, but there's only so much great rugby that you can that you can fit in in a weekend these days. Because um, the next game, uh, the Blues-Rebels. So uh, this was an amazing game. I thought that the Blues kind of had this blown away, and who knew where this game was going to go. Um, right up until Scott Higginbotham kind of uh, fended off Ali Williams. It was beautiful to watch. Um, and then sped to the line, and it seemed to kind of re-spark something and ended up 36-32. Um, quite an amazing game. Uh, Hugh, did you see this one? Um, I saw bits of it. I, I yeah. was in, in transit on my way to the Waratahs game, so ah, I did miss the Rebels' fight back. <laughs> it was, I saw the Blues uh, pretty much rolling over the Rebels, and... And uh, much like their performance against the Chiefs, it was it was like they were beaten before they even started. Mm. And it's it's got to be a bit of a depressing feeling, especially when you lose a few players in the process. But, you know, again, there's a testament to their fight back that there's just something there in the Rebels. There's something there that, that I don't think was there in previous years. And they're just starting to work their way into these games against really good opposition. Mm. That That's got to be encouraging. You know, they're not getting the points and that's, you know, that's not good, but... But, you know, the fact that they're getting back into these games is something in, them, in itself. And I don't think the previous incarnations of the Rebels would, would probably have, have uh, done what they did on Saturday night. I'll tell you, one thing you probably did see, though. Did you see those hits on James O'Connor? Oof. Where... I felt them. I felt them. <laughs> I mean, he, he ended up both times. And obviously the first time, I think, obviously really he injured himself. But um, literally spread like a starfish on his back sliding backwards. Um, it, it's kind of a testament, though, to his athleticism. And in both cases, he kind of almost did like a ninja flip to get back on his feet and have another go, which was kind of unsuccessful again. But he really did get kind of ragdolled a couple of times, didn't he? Um, they were pretty big hits, Scott. Yeah, I can't remember who put the first one on him that actually did the damage. Yeah. But the second one was the spectacular one that everybody said, you know, he's got a problem with his defence if he can't tackle Rene Ranger. Mm. Just look in the background, he was down on the ground with the trainer when Ranger got the ball. Yeah. He gets up off the deck, pushes the trainer away and says, I've got to try and stop him. 
Now, by that time, he's got whatever he's got, you know, fairly severe bruising to the collarbone and the sternum. Mm. Um, he's not going to put on a shoulder tackle at that stage. So, yeah, he went backwards again. I saw Rennie Ranger had tweeted him later on that night saying, mate, really sorry I've injured you. And he said, no, don't worry, I was already done by then. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, you know, it was massive, wasn't it? It was oh, something that will feature on Plays of the Week, no doubt, this week. Uh, but, yeah. you know, the Rebels... They played reasonably well through the whole game. They fought again. And again, they've showed a lot of fight since that uh, debacle in South Africa, as we've talked about. But it's just the defence. 33 missed tackles. Mm. I mean, and they've got John Muggleton down there, who is, you know, meant to be the defensive guru and and by all reports is a very good uh, defensive coach. And yet they just keep missing tackles at a rapid rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's all individual stuff. It's not the d- defence system. It's purely guys. I mean, like Mitch Inman, who played well, he scored a couple of tries, but, gee, he missed some shocking tackles. Mm. He just got, you know, beaten completely, planted his feet and became like a turnstile. Well, that happened to Cooper Vuna on a couple of occasions as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, com- yeah it, was, it was difficult to see him working his way back to the Wallabies. Um but I mean, you know, other other bits of the rebels. I mean, their lineout um, wasn't looking too bad. I mean, they um, managed to win three against the throw, um, and ended up with like eighteen, uh, you know, um, uh, on their own ball. I think so. Uh, and I guess that's why Hugh Pyle seemed to keep finding his way in the teams of the week. Yeah, well, I mean, they, if you think about Hugh Pyle, they've got Scott Higginbotham as well. Um, you know, and they're they're. Their numbers are pretty good for the year, but yeah, they you know so they won ninety four percent of their own ball and restricted the uh, Blues to only seventy five percent. And the you know the Blues haven't had the best line out, but it, it's been reasonable. So that part of the game has been pretty good. Um, I mean, scrums were a bit up and down, um, but they still won all their own ball. They looked like they were they were getting belted a little bit every now and then. As I said, every, every part of the game you look at and say, oh, they were in that game, which they were at the end except for the defence. Mm. And and it is wide defence as well, as you're right. You're talking about, you know, Inman, Vuna, a couple of other guys making some serious misses. And it just doesn't look like the line where they're rushing out of the line and getting beaten on the inside, which is a structural problem. Um, it doesn't look like they're getting beaten on the outside, so they haven't got the width right. It's just guys individually missing tackles. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of a heartledge problems. Um all right, so that's the Rebels. Again, a real pity, you know, only uh, four points out, um, although I think one of the, the tries came was sort of in the 81st minute sort of thing, uh, which kind of got them close. But, yeah, yeah. Ma- managed, managed, to, managed to hang in there at least uh, against the Blues, who are, you know, looking like a fairly formidable team this year. Yeah, um, and Scott Higginbotham once again mm, had another blinder. He did, didn't he? He's really turned things around this year. Uh, pretty amazing. Um, alrighty, so let's move on to the next one, uh, the Waratahs Stormers. So here was a hell of a game. I, I was walking around all week saying, "Oh, this is the tester." You know, it's one thing to dish up the Kings, but you know, the Stormers—they uh, know how to play, and they did. I thought the Stormers actually did a really good job. Um, you know, with their defence, uh, you know, through most of the game, uh, but the Tars still found a way. You were there, Hugh. What, what was your take on the whole thing? Yeah, look, I agree with you. It was one of those games you knew all week what the Stormers were going to provide, and and they provided it. You know, they they delivered. Their defense was 
rock solid across the park. They had, you know, I, I would like to see their missed tackle count because, you know, it, it would have been very, very low. They just don't make mistakes. They come up in a line, the wide men come in in, in a sort of umbrella format and they limit your opportunities, they limit your offloading uh, and most of all, it's just physical, you know, they're driving you back. And for great portions of the game, the Waratahs really struggled to get go forward momentum. And in about the 60th minute, when the Stormers got a, got in front by four points, it kind of looked like the writing was on the wall, and the Stormers were just going to roll over and and keep rolling into the Waratahs half and potting the uh, potting the penalty goals, and and they'd win without having to score a try. But then. And Waratahs just slowly started to get on top. You could see the Stormers start to tire. They had a few injuries, the Stormers. They lost Reinhard Elstad and Dwayne Vermeulen uh, at pretty key times, and they, and they were the two guys really leading their defensive effort. Mm. And, and uh, yeah, it's slowly but surely it started to happen for the Waratahs, and they started to roll down, and, and the try came to his Raffalau, but only after they spurned a penalty in true... Queensland Reds style that I thought they should have been kicking and they kick for the corner. Um, but unlike the Reds, or that's a bit of a cheap shot, but unlike the Reds, it came off and they, they scored the try. Um, so I suppose that was um, pretty impressive stuff from Dave Dennison. Michael Checker gave him a big rap in the post-game conference for, for making the right call there. So yeah. I think, you know, I think where this game was good for the Waratahs was it showed that they could... They could have another string to their bow. Yes, they could win, you know, 70 nil razzle dazzle style. Yes, they can take it to the New Zealand teams out wide, but they hadn't really shown that they could they could beat a big South African team and, and beat them up front. And in the end, that's what they did. They, they, you know, the two there was a couple of telling scrums late in the game where they really rolled over them as well. So, yeah, it was it was it was a deserved win. And and whilst it wasn't you know a game for the ages, the intensity was there. So there's a lot to be impressed with as a Waratahs fan. So, so Scott, you and I talked leading up to this game. We talked about how the Kings had made that fatal error of basically not attacking the ball at the breakdown um, and getting scorched for it. And I guess I think we both thought, well, you know, the Stormers will go hard at it and make it a mess. But they really didn't. Now, don't get me wrong, they still were damn hard to kind of breach through the midfield. Um, they were just like a white wall to try and get around. Uh, but they didn't go hard at the ball and, and make it difficult for the Waratahs. Were you surprised by that? I was, and I've seen some articles written in South Africa this week you know, really attacking the Stormers' game plans. Mm. That they have one game plan, and they just aren't adapting it from week to week, Yeah, and they play the same way every time, which is make the tackle, have a wall, as you say, fold out, don't let them get through the wall. But, uh, yeah, they missed, a, they missed a really good opportunity there, I thought. The mm. interesting thing was that they actually missed 23 tackles when uh, the Waratahs only missed 15. Yeah. So they missed more, but they had to make double the number of tackles that the Waratahs did, which is their game. Give mm. the other team the ball, kick it up to them, sit back in defence, keep the wall, and just keep going. So they attempted 201 tackles compared to the Waratahs' 106. Mm. So... You know, they just didn't have the ball and kept going. And, you know, I thought that was a more impressive win for the Waratahs, and I know I'm not the first person to say it, but mm. than the game against the Kings. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, the Tars were leading there, and then the Stormers, you know, they get those couple of penalties, they take the lead, and much like I felt 
when they played the Chiefs. Ah, oh, you know, the momentum's now going with the Chiefs or the Stormers. And I thought, yeah, the Stormers are going to roll over here. They're just going to keep coming down, kick another penalty. And in years gone by, even last year, I think that would have happened with the Waratahs. I think their heads would have dropped a little bit. But they didn't. You know, they really fought back and they were very positive. And I thought it was interesting that the Checker said in the press conference, you know, no, I, we were in the box saying, take the points, take the points. Even though that they said they don't send the message out, they're prepared to let them make the decision on the field. And then said, but hey, I got it wrong. Yeah. Dave Dennis got it right. Um, good on him. He made that decision. And in the end, I look at it now and I agree with his reasons that he's just given for why he did it. And that was the positive mindset that the Waratahs have got now. Yeah. Whereas, you know, previously, you know, I think they would have been, you know, a little bit negative. Let's take the shot at goal. Uh, and it was interesting, I, I tell you, as soon as Barrick Barnes came on, you know, he put those couple of kicks in and it looked like, you know, here's a guy who hasn't played with this team for a while because he, he, he's not quite understanding the game plan, don't kick it away. And then he, he, went, he went to catch, I think it was the third ball that he got, and you could almost see him get the ball ready to kick and then he did a little hop and went, oh, I'm not meant to kick it, and ran. <laughs> yeah. and, and then from then on... There was no more kicking from him, and he sort of got into the game plan that the Tars have been playing, and yeah. it, it was it was a really good win. Yeah, needed, I thought it showed a lot. He needed to remind himself. Um, yeah. You know, I thought what was also interesting was you know the continued development of Bernard Foley. I mean, here's a guy that only a few weeks ago I was saying, yeah, this guy looks too much like a sevens player. I don't see how he becomes um, five eight. And, you know, what I think what he showed in the Kings game, I mean, he showed all his seven skills, plus, you know, that, you know, his distribution was getting better. In this game, I thought he's, he started to inject a bit of a kicking game. I mean, there was a couple of pearlers that he put, you know, dinking into, into corners and things like that. I mean, you know, he starts to wrap these things up and, you know, well, who knows, another season and he really could become the full package, but... You know, he, he's really starting to, to look pretty good, uh, don't you reckon, Hugh? Exactly, yeah. Uh, the kicking game is, is one thing you mentioned, and that's the, probably been the weakness in his game so far this year. Mm. He just doesn't have that big boot that, you know, most other 5.8s in the country have. Mm. And, you know, I think that's, that's an area where you can see him getting better in. And as you say, he put in a few good kicks. The other player I'd like to raise, and... I, after the game, gave my Man of the Match award to, to Tafu Palotanau. And then I went home and, and the next morning I watched the game again. And if I had my time again, I would have given Man of the Match, I think, to Rob Horn. Mm -hmm. I think he really had a, was, it was a vital element of that game. Where he did a lot of great work getting them over the advantage line in, in heavy contact. And in the end, him and Ashley Cooper, I thought, really outplayed De Jong and De Villiers, the Springbok centres. Mm. I think that, that was probably where, well, in one of, one of the places where the game was won and lost. Horn's front-on defence was just incredible. Mm. And it's funny, when I floated the possibility of him playing for the Wallabies today in my article, it's got the usual sort of <laughs> cries of outrage that uh, someone said, you know, basically I'd rather play any 12 in Australia before I played Rob Horn. But I honestly think that he's he's firming in my eyes. And the reason why is I think he's Pat McCabe, but he's playing. And that's why I think what I think Robbie might see. And we all know how much Robbie loves a, a basher mm. in that inside centre position. 
and he has shown a soft spot for Rob Horn in the past. I think uh, I think Robbie might be watching with great interest what Rob Horn's doing at the moment. And as much as I'd love Christian Lealafana to get a Guernsey, I have a feeling that Horn might be a bit closer to it at the moment. Because uh, Horn wasn't in that uh, logistics squad, was he? No, he was not. Yeah, okay. But I, I, to your point and the point that Scott's been making for a while, I don't think any of us can see Lely Lafano starting in Robbie Horn's test team. So, uh, Robbie Horn, uh, Robbie Dean's test team. So, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. So that's probably unlikely to happen. Um, just before we move on, you mentioned him. The other guy who yet again had another pearler, I thought, was Adam Ashley Cooper. I tell you what I loved about his game the most on that it was those couple of turnovers where he made a tackle, especially one where he did a kick chase. I think it was a kick chase out of the Tar Zone 22 or so. Um, and he came up, smashed the guy as he took the ball, but then got up um, and then bulldozed over. Um, I will say he went off his feet fairly quickly, um, so maybe he was lucky to get away with that, but it was well past the ball by that stage. Um, and he, he did a couple of those which affected these turnovers, and they're so crucial. Um, you know, in, in you know, relieving pressure, turning defence into attack, all those sorts of things. And this really looks like it's one of these things he's really kind of developed into his game. And if he can keep that going through the internationals, that's going to be absolute gold dust, um, I think. Um, yeah, and, and, and that is the other thing that works in Horn's favour as well, yeah. his combination with Ashley Cooper, because since they put those two together in the, in the centres, the Waratahs have gone from strength to strength. Okay. Well, look, we've managed to talk about a whole game of Waratahs without even talking about Israel Falau, so let's not ruin that and move on. <laughs> um, okay, so there we go. Waratahs winning an important one. Does it put them in the hunt? We'll see. It doesn't. I think it needs a couple of people to falter on that ladder, but um, if anything, at least I think that was a big game in belief, um, as Robbie would say, a big deposit in, in belief for them. Um, the only game left that got played was the Kings th- uh, beating the Highlanders uh, 34-27. Does that mean? Have, what does that mean for the Highlanders now? Have, have they won a game yet? Yeah, yeah, they beat the Sharks. That's Ooh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but that's their only game, right? Yeah. So wow, what a what a season uh, for those guys. Oh my god, I keep they keep stuffing me and tipping because I keep thinking they can't keep losing, and they do. When well, you oh, look at that team, you look at Nono and Thorn oh, and god. You, know, <laughs> you go, shit, how are these blokes losing? Yeah. Well, it was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, that uh, one of the New Zealand papers does a power ranking thing every week, mm-hmm. where they rate the top fifteen or the fifteen teams, you know, top to bottom, not based on the results, but based on you know what the quality of the team is, the vibe of the thing, the, yeah, the vibe of the thing, and the playing roster, and who yeah. they've got next, and whatever. And the Highlanders were, you know, they started yeah. even though they lost a couple about eighth, and even when they lost four, they were still tenth. And then they got to about 12th, and then they just basically didn't budge from there. They basically <laughs> were saying, no, no, they're better than the Force and the Rebels and the yeah. Kings and whatever. And it's only in the last two weeks that they've gone to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so even the New Zealanders have now said, yep, it's not going to happen this year for them. <laughs> oh, dear, funny to see. Well, so the teams that we had to buy there were the Brumbies, uh, Bulls and, and Crusaders, which, you know, three, well, the three powerhouses um, all having the week off. Um, Okay, well, in talking about that, and at the top of this segment, we talked about how, um, or at the, at the top of the podcast, you know, we talked about the positivity that's going on with the Aussie teams. Um, you know, some big wins and almost wins there, uh, f- uh, you know, for the Aussie teams over the weekend. It does mean there's been some interesting press coming out of New Zealand. I saw something from Chris Ratui 
um, just I think it was yesterday, basically you know heaping praise on these Aussie teams that are playing so well and asking what the hell's going on with our conference. I think they're a little bit shaken up over there almost. Yeah, yeah look, it's funny. They were suggesting also, you know, the Wallabies could dominate world rugby in the next few years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's when I stopped believing him writing. That. That's when I knew it was a plant. But, but Hugh, you, I know that you frequent the odd Kiwi website. What's going on? Do they really believe it? Well, it's funny. I mean, the Wallabies, you know, they're saying, oh, well, it's the effect of the Lions year and, and, and everyone's peaking because they want to play the Lions. I'm not sure that's true. I think every year you want to play for the Wallabies. It doesn't matter who you're playing against. Yeah. Um, I just think it's one of the things is the coaching. You know, you've now got three... Um, really top coaches, and that's that's being noticed, mm-hmm. um, and that you know those three teams are doing well. Um, but also, I think New Zealand are having a down year today. I mean, a down year this year. I mean, today they announced their squad of thirty-five players for a training camp, and it's funny that it's split between, in my eyes, debutants who are the form players, mm. and who guys like uh, Jeff Tumaga Allen. Um, you know, there's some of the Blues guys, Frank Halley, Charles Piatow, Tom Taylor from the Crusaders. Um, and then there's, you know, the incumbents who are, are not only not really, you know, in form, they're in fact out of form. You know, guys like Nonu. Uh-huh. Smith, you know, hasn't done much. Jose Gear's been very hot and cold. Israel Dagg's not even been selected for the Crusaders last time. Um, ben Smith's out of form at the Highlanders. You know, Andrew Hoare. Um, Mialamu, who you've barely seen, Tony Woodcock's been average. So, you know, Kieran Reid hasn't played much either. So it's kind of, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what team the, the Kiwis go with because, you know, if they pick some of the bright stars from the young guys, then they might be very competitive. But if they stick to the old sort of the guys that have been the proven performers for them, well, yeah, you know, that they might well get done. This might be the year, touch wood. So, but... <laughs> Having said that, I was reading your article today talking about, um, you know, was it, uh, you know, class is permanent, form is temporary? Uh, yeah, exactly. Sort of thing. I mean, so it's hard to read this. I don't know. I, I also have a sneaking suspicion in New Zealand rugby. I always think the All Blacks are much more vulnerable when McCaw's not on the pitch. Not so much from his, him as a player, um, especially as the years have gone on, even though obviously he is one of the greatest players. Um, but his leadership, and I think in some of these teams, you kind of wonder where is that leadership at the moment. Um, it seems to be a bit missing, and you know when teams like the Chiefs kind of go go missing, the Highlanders seem to be missing. I don't know. I, it, it feels to me that someone somewhere is not making some great decisions, um, and maybe that's something there. And I don't know. We can cross our fingers, but I, I think we'll wait until we see that Kiwi Test team, the All Black Test team, play a few times before we call it's all over them uh, over for them I guess this year maybe yeah when you think about it it's a squad of 38 and there's only 10 who are really you know young guys mm. the rest have got plenty of experience but the interesting thing was they only selected one number seven Sam Kane yeah so out of 38 guys they only decided they needed one specialist open side did they even put McCaw's name in that that list no okay well he's just got yeah there is a 38th spot well, <laughs> well no right. well there's 39th. actually yeah. Well, there's actually legislation in New Zealand now that any side in any sport you name, Richie McCaw is an automatic selection. And if he does want to play, he can play. It's like the rights of prima nocte. Uh, (laughs) Exactly, yes. 
<laughs> All right. Okay. So look, before we get into next week's games, let's talk about some of the big headlines. Um, the biggest one, the, the hottest one off the press, has got to be about Kurtley Beal. Um, it's been a bit of a, a shocking ride, and it's all, uh, you know, come to a bit of an end this week, where he's, you know, as we understand it, checked himself into, um, you know, a private clinic uh, to deal with problems around alcohol. I guess it's not a big surprise to to anybody, and I think the sentiment on the site and in most people I've heard talking is, you know, well, you know, good on him for facing up to it, and let's hope he can sort it out. Uh, do we think this is going to rule him out of the lines? Because I think up until that point, everyone was saying, oh, yeah, he'll, he'll be back in there no matter what. Um, you know, coaches have a way of making sure top players get on the field. Uh, this seems to be, you know, making it harder and harder, doesn't it? What do you reckon, Scott? What, what are our chances of seeing Kurtley, do you think? Oh, well, I, I hope they're nil. Mm. Um, I, I Look, after that game... That half a game or twenty minutes he played against uh, you know, for the for the rebels the other day, I thought, yep, he's definitely going to be in there, mm. and I actually thought he'd start. But you know, then it's come out that he broke the drinking ban. Then there's the story that he was at a shoot shield game, I think an Eastwood game, two weeks prior to that, drinking in public, out in front of everybody who was watching the game. Mm. Um, I understand from what I read today that he had already checked himself into this facility, which is an indefinite stay. Um, it's the same one, apparently, that Ben Barber from the Canterbury Bulldogs in the NRL went to before they even had the meeting today. So he didn't even attend the meeting. He was already in the clinic when they had the meeting. Um, I say forget rugby, get better, mm. solve the problem, and I think it would be derelict of the ARU to bring him back in. Because if he goes through this for, you know, two, three weeks at the clinic and then they come back and say, look, we'll put you in the squad, I I think that's the wrong thing to do. Mm. I think it'd be great to have him there. Good player deserves a spot. But there are more important things than rugby. Mm. And and unfortunately, the guy's got a problem. And lots of people have problems. And, you know, we've seen this week that Ben Churn came out and admitted some serious depression issues. And... You know, it, the, I think it's the admitting of things. Kurtley, last time this happened, made a statement to Fox that I don't have a problem. And I think it was Adam Fryer went on Fox and said, no, no, he does have a problem. Mm. And it looks like he's admitted it, and that's a great first step. So forget rugby, Kurtley, get better. And I think the Rebels have acknowledged that as well, because Damien Hill was quoted today saying, we may never see him play for the Rebels again. Yeah, okay. What about Baba? Are you on the same page? Yep, yep. I mean, it's uh, all we can do is wish him the best. And, I mean, from a rugby rugby perspective, uh, there'd be a chance if we had an injury situation like last year that you might see him rushed back if, you know, if we're seriously scraping the barrel, you know, in terms of outside backs. But at the moment, we've got so many blokes that, that he is not going to be needed. Um, from from that angle anyway. So I think that um, makes Robbie Deans' life uh, decisions a little bit easier in that regard. I mean, because playing-wise, I mean, it's interesting. Just a couple of days ago, um, Eddie Jones came out and said, you know, you can't admit Kirtley Beal, a guy with that much talent. You know, you've got to make sure you, you, you get him on the field. And then he went and named a back three 
that was um, Falau, who he said you can't leave out. He looks, he's just too great under the high ball and can do special things. Um, I, you know, Ioni, okay, you know, probably of the form winger. But then he said, oh, and then, you know, to counterbalance that, you want some special pace, I'd put in Jay Tamani. So he didn't even put Beal in the back three, and he wasn't talking about Beal for 10. Um, I think he was talking Cooper like everybody else. So, I mean, I don't think even his most ardent supporters have had a place for him on the team anyway. Maybe it was just on the, in the 22, I don't know. Um, so to your point, I think it's getting a bit packed back there. But, you know, if, if you had a pick between Falau and, and a fit Beal without these problems, Scott, would it, would it be difficult? Yeah, well, no. I'd put Beal at 15. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd agree. And I'd move Falau out to the wing. Yeah. Falau, for me, must start. Mm-hmm. And as I said, up until it was announced that there'd been this second problem, I was convinced that Beal would be in the starting side. Mm-hmm. He is too good a player. He's, you know, Robbie Deans has spent a lot of time with him. He thinks he's a, a key player, and he is. I just hope now that everybody says, just leave him be. Mm. Let him fix his problems before he plays rugby again. Mm. Um, I know, I know, I know. Playing rugby is part of that, but you know the pressure of a Lions series. Okay, take it this way. Let's say he gets rushed back in through an injury or whatever happens, and they win the series. How is the bloke going to go out and celebrate and not have a drink? Mm. Although he's, See, got- I'd say that's a terrible situation to put him in. Mm. And don't even put him in that. Just say no. You know, maybe maybe he's available for the the rugby championship games. Yeah. Well, I think the difficult bit is so so what we've seen in the past. So let's say there was enough time for him to go through whatever steps he needs to go through. Um, I mean, I'm no expert in in, in what that looks like. I've I've got to say, but um, you know, the only thing what we've seen in the past is you know where he's hit some problems is when he's had these injuries. Remember when he was in the Tars when he was a bit younger. Um, and he'd have those injuries and, you know, he'd be off playing and he'd end up putting on a lot of weight. Um, that's when things seem to go wrong. I, I, you know, and I know that, for example, the idea of having him on the tour with the Rebels was they were like, look, rather than leaving him at home in an apartment in Melbourne, at least let's have him with us so there's someone who keep an eye on him. And having said that, I'm defeating my own argument because it all went wrong anyway. Um, I don't know. I just wonder if there's an argument there that, you know, having him... You know, in an environment where people have got an eye on him, um, you know whether that could work. But I hear what you say, which is maybe that's just putting him under too much pressure. I think the Lions series is a pressure-filled environment. Mm. There's lots of pressure before the game. There's going to be lots of celebration after every game. If he's right, if he comes out of the clinic and he wants to play rugby, grab some of his relatives, pay uh, them, and put them up in Melbourne and let him play for the Rebels. Mm. You know, so he's playing his rugby. It's not quite the pressure environment of a Lions series. Um, you know, I just think around, no matter what happens in the Lions series, it's such a big thing. There are so many functions. There's going to be either a celebration or a commiseration if you win it or lose it. I just don't want to see the guy put in that situation. And and honestly, if if you if you've got a problem, how can you go to a pub? or go to the after-match function and not have a drink when you, you might have just won the series. Mm. It's not possible. Mm. Well, gee, you'd have to be a lot stronger person than most to be able to do it. So, yeah. okay. like I said, up until it was announced, 
I would have played him 15 in the starting team. Now I'm really concerned. The other, the other interesting aspect of it, and it's it's irrelevant really, but you know, having having said what I've said about Kirtley, the ARU started the Lions promotion with David Pocock facing up to the line. He was their man. Mm. Just looking through some of the pages tonight as I was talking to you about some stats and looking through results and timelines and whatever, and all the Lions ads that feature on every website that I've been to have got Kirtley Beale. So the ARU were going from, we started with Pocock, then we went to Beale. Who's our man now? Oh, they can't win a trick on that one at the moment. Um, okay, so look, that's that's currently uh, done, dusted. You know, sad news on one hand, but let's hope that means that uh, he ends up in the in the better place. Um, so, talking about lines, um, what about? I mean, this week I uh, we wrote I wrote an article. I'd say we really because you had a bit of input into that as well, Scott. Um, talking about how we think uh, the lines will play. Um, uh, you know, coming in this year. Um, it's interesting. I mean, we deliberately put a bit of a uh, provocative headline in there because, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is I don't think anyone wants to believe that Robbie isn't going to play Cooper and maybe even Leigh Le- Leofano. So, you know, I noticed, you know, Matt Burke's putting a team out on the weekend, which has got him in, which has got Cooper and Leigh Leofano together. Um, Eddie Jones is saying it's Cooper. Um, and then, um, who else was it? Um, uh, just on, only just today. Paul Cully said something. Yeah. Oh no, it was, it was Mortlock. Sterling Mortlock, um, said he thinks it should be Cooper as well. Um, and I guess this is reminiscent of it, or this talks to the sort of game that they want to play, which is the sort of thing that Cooper did in that first half in the Reds. Uh, but I think, you know, with what we wrote in that article, we're sort of saying, look, if you read, I mean, I think Deans hasn't even been hiding it. Uh, you know, he's just been saying it out and loud. You know, that's not the sort of game plan I'm going to be playing. It's going to be a much, much t- tougher. It's going to be a war of attrition. It's going to be about stopping momentum and making momentum. Um, and, you know, then goes on, you know, and talks about, you know, how Pat McCabe and McCabe-like players are going to be important to that, um, which sort of suggests that, you know, we're not going to be seeing a lot of the sort of stuff that we saw from the Reds in the first half of, on, on the weekend. Um, on the other hand as well, I think everyone's supposition is that the Lions are going to play basically like Wales, but with just a couple of extra um, meatheads in there, and it's going to be just bash and barge. But, you know, if we look at the Lions in the past, you know, in the last series they scored seven tries in three games using pretty much the same coaching squad. Um, and, you know, in watching some of those games, there was some p- pretty fast and frenetic stuff, and it was O'Driscoll and Roberts at the centres, um, doing some great stuff. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. But everything at the moment points me to think that, you know, we're, Robbie at the moment thinks he's going to replay the Welsh series last year, but I'm not sure Warren Gatlin does. Um, I know you've been having a look. You've got some articles on the way that kind of talk about this, Scott, don't you? Yeah. So, I mean, I started... I'm extremely excited about the Lions series. Can't mm. wait for it. It's going to be mm. fantastic. So I've started, you know, I started going back and watching the 2001 tour. And that's that's great, but it doesn't tell you anything about what's going to happen. So then I went back and I didn't watch the 2005 tour to New Zealand because again I looked at that and thought it's too long ago, different players. But then I got out the 2009 series in South Africa. Um dry grounds, fast grounds, 
and had a look at what they did and had a look at what they set up in the first test and how they played and then the second test. The third test is a little bit different. Lots of players out of both teams. Even though it wasn't played like a dead rubber, it was a dead rubber. It was 2-0 to South Africa by then. So if you if you want to work out how the Lions are going to play with, at that stage, Warren Gatlin was the forwards coach, uh, Roundtree was the scrum coach, and Rob Howley was the backs coach, and Ian McGeekin was the head coach. Neil Jenkins was the kicking coach. Mm. So the only thing that's changed in the coaching scenario, and sorry, um, Sean Edwards was the defence coach. So the thing that's changed in the defense, in the setup is Sean Edwards is out as defence coach and Farrell is in, and Gatland has gone from forwards coach up to head coach. But same group. In the first test, their first half was dreadful, but that was on the basis of two things happened. One, their line-out got smashed by the South Africans, and their scrum got even more smashed because they started with you know the English hooker and the English tight head. Then they brought on the Welsh front row at half-time. They got parity, or in fact, they got ascendancy back in the scrum. Um, they made some changes in the line-out, and they got parity in the line-out. And the second half of the first test, they played some fantastic running rugby that if we looked at um, maybe not the Waratahs, because the Waratahs are playing a more expansive game than the Reds, but if we looked at the Reds, it wasn't far away from what the Reds had been doing. Mm. Um, in terms of attack, the intent they had. And then you came to the second test, and they got I think they got the selections right, where they got the right players in the front row. Therefore, they had dominance in the scrum, which I think they'll have in, in the tests against us. And their first half of the second test, some of the best rugby you'll ever want to see, and it was all built around... I mean, everyone talks about they're going to have Roberts at 12 and Tuolagi at 13, and we're going to have the, the Bash brothers, the big massive centres, will you just watch that first and second test and see how Roberts and O'Driscoll, so you had the power of Roberts and the guile of O'Driscoll, and they kept changing between 12 and 13 all through the games. And they dominated South Africa. It was their forwards that didn't dominate them in the first half of the first test and then in the second half of the second test. Mm -hmm. And, And the only reason that the Lions lost that series, I'm saying this Probably, O'Driscoll and Roberts both got injured, had to go off, and Adam Jones and Gareth uh, Gareth Jenkins both had to go off as well. So their four key players had to go off effectively almost at half time, mm. and South Africa got it back into it. But you watch those first two tests, and you look at it and say that's basically a Super Rugby side, one of the best Super Rugby sides playing. It's not Dower Rugby. It's certainly it's hard. It's very direct at the breakdown, and you know it's, it's a real fierce contest. But they play some expansive rugby. Mm. Okay, so they're going to so they're not going to be they're not going to be easy to handle. And you've got to think that it's it's not going to be all about just potting goals. No, and the other thing is, sorry, if you take if you take um, the extension of watching those two thousand and nine tests and the same coaching group through. Just like Robbie Deans is going to go for experience, and I know Hugh said that in his uh, maybe his comments to some of his articles today. You know, any coach is going to go for experience in a big test match series like this. Well, the Lions are going to do the same. And if you look at the players they had that played in 2009 and are experienced campaigners, 
they're not going to be going with a whole bunch of rookies. They're going to be going with a, a group that has a combination from playing on the last Lions tour. Lots of combinations from the same country. Obviously, Wales, you know, fairly good. There's some Irish combinations in there as well that'll form up. Um, I, I keep reading people saying, oh, is that all they've got? Is that... I reckon we're in for a real shock here. I reckon they are going to be a very good side. So, Hugh, now, I think you've made some uh, comments today which I think are really fair, though, which is saying, hang on a minute, um, you know, what are we expecting, especially in a game like this with everything on the line? Are we, should we be expecting two playmakers? And if you look at some of the, you know, performing teams in Australian rugby, that they're not necessarily running with them, right? Yeah, look... My point was to address the sort of debates around Wallaby player specifically. Mm. And, I mean, obviously the view is that Quay Cooper, you know, should be picked. He won't be, you know, and then the view is that he won't be picked and then that's him being, you know, quite undeservedly overlooked. And that, that may be true. Um, obviously, you know, we've we've raised an issue with the issues with Cooper on the side before and I'm not for a second saying that he shouldn't be selected. I'm a big Quay Cooper fan. Um but I think there's this notion that he has a monopoly on creativity as a fly half and that if we don't play Quade Cooper, then by default that it's we're going to be, you know, some sort of stodgy, backward sort of mess of a team. And, and I don't think that's necessarily true. And it's the same thing with the idea of an inside centre, a guy like Pat McCabe or Rob Horn or you know, Ant Fianger or whoever you, you like, is that well, having this bloke there is going to stifle creativity, the ballsy isn't going to get to the wing, and we're going to play a terrible style of rugby. And again, that it's just not borne out in the evidence. If you look at the way the Red, you know, the Reds played on Saturday with Feinger at 12, and, and he didn't do much distribution. Same with what the Waratahs have been doing with Horn. Um, the Rebels have been scoring plenty of points with Rory Sardi at 12, and he's the same style. So I think looking at the, the players, I don't think that tells the whole story with what style Deans wants to play. I don't disagree that it's going to be a little bit more conservative. I think that's just the nature of these sort of high-end test rugby that, that you know, I think people have a, a rose-tinted image of, of how rugby used to be, especially, you know, in that golden age of about 98 to 2003, mm-hmm. where, you know, you only remember the highlights and you seem to think, oh, well, we were throwing it around from everywhere. We were scoring tries winning cups well that you know really wasn't the case and and you know we were playing that same sort of you know we weren't taking risks in our own half and you can't play at test level the same way you play super rugby Mm. and so i think people being a little bit unrealistic look i I wasn't a fan of the way we played last year and I, i don't want it to see it come back but what i hope is is with a bit better you know my the optimist within me hopes that with a you know what looks like being a much stronger forward pack with guys in form, we can get a lot more go forward ball and certainly start to make things happen. Mm. And just because you play a conservative game plan doesn't mean you can't score tries or take opportunities when they arise. So that that's what I'm I'm kind of hoping and that's what I think Dean's has in mind. Um well, when the game plan So in. so that's an interesting point you're making. So you're saying look and I think there's a fair criticism also that you'd have to say with Cooper which is that, you know, not all of his games, you know, when he's played at international, he's played for the Wallabies at 10, have been crackers. And obviously not all of that's going to be, you can put it at his door. Um, but, you know, there's those times when, you know, he hasn't done so well under pressure. 
the, the question about can he play those tight games when you need to be able to do it, all those sorts of things. But if you take him out and you say, okay, so who is the person that you then put at 10, which, and then you're going to have, let's say, a Horn and, a, and an AAC, for example, at 12 and 13. I mean, one of the things, and I guess this shows how well Bernard Foley has been doing, is who is adding then that spark at 10? Because the only two candidates that were in the logistic camp were either Beric Barnes or um, James O'Connor. And are they going to add that spark that we need to make up for those direct centres, or are we saying we don't even need that as far as a, a distribute? Because, you know, Rob Horn and, and Adam Ashley Cooper, you, you certainly can't call them um, distributors. So if you, if, you, if you have three players who aren't you know, good distributors, and I think one of the things about James O'Connor, a lot of people have got as a question is, you know, great runner, um, but can he distribute? Uh, Scott, I mean, you've run actually, I think there's a couple of articles you ran not too, only a few months back looking at those different attributes of our potential tens, right? Yeah, look, I think the Wallabies should play with some width, and therefore they should select Quay Cooper and Alila Fano at 10 and 12. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe they're going to. I believe that they want to play conservative, don't make a mistake, don't give them an opportunity to rugby. Um, that may well turn out to be, and, and that's what they played last year, that may well turn out to be the best way to go. If you're going to make that decision to do it, then I say don't pick Quade Cooper. Mm-hmm. Because... It's not that he can't play that way, but you're, you don't need what he brings. He brings some skills that no one else brings. He can hit flat balls like he hit to Fienga the other day. He can get guys into holes that really don't exist. But you're not trying to play that way. So then don't, there's just no point in picking you. Mm-hmm. You know, pick somebody who is more conservative and all they do is distribute. Now, up until Kurtley Beal having the issues, I would again, I would have put him at 15 and I would have put James O'Connor at 10. James O'Connor plays exactly the sort of game Robbie Deans wants. He makes two decisions. He either gets the ball and goes straight to the line. He doesn't go sideways. He goes straight to the line, backs himself and has a crack. And in that case, you get over the game line, which is what Robbie Deans wants. Or he gives it straight away. With Cooper, he'll take the ball He'll look up, he'll dance, he'll jig, he'll move sideways slightly, and then he may put a guy into a hole 30 metres away, Mm. which is beautiful to watch. But that's not how Robbie Deans wants to play. So, fair crack, he's the coach, he selects the game plan, then pick the guy who plays it best. I would have said James O'Connor is, you know, because he's been playing more, he'd be the 10. But with Beal out, I actually reckon Falau will be the fullback. And I reckon James O'Connor will now move to the wing. And I believe they both have to start in the 15. I reckon Barrett Barnes will be the 10. Mm. He, he stands a bit deeper, which means he gets the ball, gives it straight to somebody outside. Now, look, I think it'll be McCabe at 12, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Horn at 12. Regardless of who starts, I reckon the other one's on the bench. So I reckon they're interchangeable. And I reckon... Let's say it's Barnes, catch the ball, give it to McCabe or Horn or on a line-out, short line-out, and I reckon you'll find Tomani will be in the side and you'll feed it to him. That's the game plan he's going to play. Mm-hmm. And therefore, why select somebody who 
has skills that are outside your game plan. Mm. Okay. Um, okay, so, I mean, that's what we've been... T- that's, I think that's been a big discussion on the site. And the other thing we're going to have coming up, you've, you've kind of got a, uh, a kind of a selection of articles coming through, Scott, I think, which look at, you know, if you look at the lines and their combinations, um, you know, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to the way that the Wallaby should play and, and to Wallabies and to Robbie Deans' game plan? So... Keep an eye yeah. out for those. They're going to be happening over the next few weeks. But other probably more important news came through today about the Lions, um, and that is that they've actually managed to get their final, their new mascot. Um, it was quite an epic search, um, as you found out, Scott. Was it? They had 12 different people looking for an, a year and a half to find the right Lion mascot? Yeah, 12 people, 18-month global search until eventually they found the new mascot, which they've called Bill. And then people have now renamed him Billy. <laughs> well, I understand that he was found by one of the guys on this, you know, on this team um, in the, the Geneva airport and um, on the way back from a skiing trip. And the important thing was that um, he didn't look too friendly. So apparently yeah. he's, quite a mean, he's quite a mean mascot. And do you know what? They actually even went in the article that I read, which we'll, we'll probably post on the site tomorrow. It was all about the eyes. The eyes had to look mean. <laughs> he does. I've got a photo of him now. He does look very menacing. I will say. Are you feeling a bit menaced, Hugh? I am. Yeah, it really worries me. <laughs> and I just hope that we can find. A, yeah. I just hope that we can find a similarly combative wallaby toy <laughs> that we can put up against it. Because I, you know, this is this is really really worrying for me. Yeah. yeah. With the, with well, the, that sort of combines with the fourteen million pound budget that the Lions have for their tour. <laughs> well, it's blown out, hasn't it? Apparently, it's like 50% higher than it was in South Africa. Um, but um, I think that's a mixture of a couple of things. It's that it's so much more expensive here. Um, and also, they're having to pay the players quite a bit more, aren't they? Yeah. Well, yeah. Basically, $25 million Australian mm. to bring the tour squad out here. It's quite amazing, isn't it? But see, the thing is, I listen to the squad and I hear Warren Gatlin speak and I listen to that information and I, I didn't really think the Lions really meant business. And I, but now I look into Bill's eyes <laughs> and I'm ready. You know, it's, it's, this is going to be, a, I now realise how hard this series is going to be. So bring it on. It's going to be a toughie. Um, alrighty, look, I tell you, I think we've kind of wanged for enough um, there. So what I'm going to suggest is let's move on and look at the games this weekend, uh, what we've got coming up. Round 14. Um, it's an all-Kiwi start on Friday afternoon. The Canes taking on the Chiefs at Westpac Stadium. Um, actually, I'm just kind of trying to think where those two guys kind of sit in their respective tables. Uh Canes are about fourth, Chiefs, Ch- Chiefs are second. Chiefs are on top. On top, yeah. Okay. Yep. And right. the Canes are fourth. Um, so the, the, the Hurricanes are still in it, but, you know, they're, they're sort of hanging on. Um, interestingly, if you look at what it means for the Australian teams in, in terms of the wild card, so let's think about how we can get two Australian wild cards. Um, the Chiefs sit on 44 points. They'll, you know, one of them will qualify, obviously. The Canes are down on 33, the Tars are on 34. So we really want the Chiefs to win this. Mm. We need the Canes to be knocked out. The the Canes did, us, did Australian teams a great favour by belting, or not belting, by beating the Cheetahs last week. So we need the Canes to come through uh, 
Sorry, no, we don't. We need the Chiefs to come through this week. Okay. So, so hang on. We're, we're trying to knock the... Okay, because you're saying that the Canes are a potential rival to the, to the Waratahs there. On well, they th- are. On They're on 33 points with yeah. a game in hand compared yeah. to the Waratahs on 34. So okay. because, we want the Waratahs to get that spot. Okay. Because you're saying the Chiefs are a shoe in any way at, at the top of the table. Well, someone's got to win it. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. We may, as, we may as well give them one and hope the Blues fall over on a couple. Okay. Alrighty, um, so um, that's the, the first game of the round. And then we move on and we've got the Rebels hosting the Stormers down in Amy Park. Um, so, you know, it's obviously going to be another big ask for the can't, Rebels. Can't we have the Force and the Sharks? Um, sorry, I'm looking down a list that says the Force and the Sharks are after. They're after the... Because that'll be in past. Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, they're both at uh, 20 to 8 uh, local time. So don't no, worry, mate, no. I'm, I'm still going. I'm still... You need to do your preparation better, Scott. I do. Um... <laughs> okay, so no, no Rebels, Stormers, um, Amy Park. You know, I, can, can you back the Rebels? I mean, you've got to say the Stormers have got the class, but, um, you know, the Rebels seem to be able to do just about anything. This is kind of a bit of a tipping nightmare, isn't it? Hugh, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, I'd be... I might tip the Rebels on this one. The Stormers, they've just been struggling to score tries. They're weary from a long trip. They've just lost a couple of their real leaders in the back row, as I mentioned before. Um, I think the Rebels could be in with a shot here. Um, They're going to have to be patient like the Waratahs were, and they're going to have to make sure they don't leak points like they have in the last few weeks. Uh But I think they've certainly got the ability. I do worry now that they've got a very inexperienced 10, um, whose name I have temporarily Hegarty. forgotten, Hegarty, Hegarty. Bryce Hegarty. Um, so that that gives me a cause for concern. But look, I think it'll be a close game. I, I think I might tip the Rebels in a close one. All right. Well, that would do the again. That would, I think that would be a good favour to the Waratahs, wouldn't it, um, Scott? If they can keep keep the Scott Stormers from grabbing a few points. Yeah, yeah, it would be. We, we, yeah, they they are still a threat. They're yeah. probably not going to make it. They're probably yeah. just outside, but certainly let's get rid of them. Let's knock them off, Rebels, so that we, we remove them as a threat altogether. Do us a favour. Right, okay. So, Rebel Stormers, now we can get onto the Force and the Sharks. And we um, need the same thing here. We need a favour. So, can they? Will, will they? It depends which Sharks turn up. Mm-hmm. They, they were... They were terrible in the first half and good in the second half last week. The interesting thing was John Plumtree, their coach, and there's lots of rumours that he's gone at the end of the year, but he said in the press conference when it was asked, you know, well, do you think that you're still a chance? And he said, no, we're dead. Yeah. You know, well, if he said that, how do you then go back to your players and go, <laughs> you know, no, no, I was just saying that. Don't worry about it, guys. We're still a chance of making the finals. I actually think there might be a bit of a letdown for the Sharks, and I reckon the Force might be a chance here. Oh, good one. Okay, at home. Um, you know, the thing is, I looked at that Sharks team as they played on, on Friday night, and I just thought, you know, I recognised them, but there wasn't a lot of big international names across oh, that park. They've had massive injuries. You know, it, it looked pretty young, you know, hollow team, really. Yeah, they've had a massive injury toll. Mm. You know, you can't... You can't and this is why I'm surprised that Plumtree's copying the grief he's copying. Mm. Really, they've had one of those injury tolls, you know, that you just say, look, no team's going to make it through to the finals based on that injury toll. Mm. Okay. So uh, hopefully they're, you know, running out of... This is their last match on their tour. 
Um, they didn't have any injuries, so they'll have their full squad available, but hopefully they run out of puff and the force get over because the Stormers and the Sharks are basically hanging on by their fingernails. If they lose one more match, they're gone. So if the Rebels and the Force can get up, we knock two of them out of our way of getting three into the top six. Fantastic. Alrighty, and then we've got um, the Crusaders uh, taking on the Blues uh, on Saturday, um, which uh, I think, yeah, in, in the after- afternoon our time. Um, yet another interesting one here, and the kind of battle of the New Zealand uh, powerhouses, really. It's whether the, uh, the, the new can hold off the old, I guess. Um, and just looking at the tables, so, you know, it's a top-of-the-table battle here. So, yep. um, oh no, it's not. It's kind of a mid. Sorry. So it's the Crusaders. Second and third. Yeah, Second and third. So, so it's Crusaders on thirty-eight, Blues on forty-one. How do we call this one for an Aussie, for, for the for the for an Aussie team to get through? I reckon we probably want a draw, ah, for two points like, each. Like, <laughs> like and with a with a with quite a high you know injury toll and a few blokes suspended for you know twelve to fourteen weeks would be good too <laughs> and no yeah. tr- and no tries so but yeah. second second choice would be crusaders winning because mm-hmm. they're behind the blues but no bonus point for the crusaders yeah we want a low scoring game there nice grind out something tells yeah. me it won't be but yeah that'll be good yeah those Kiwi derbies are always low scoring grinds aren't they <laughs> yeah, maybe they just... yeah either a twelve all draw Mm. Or a twelve ten victory to the Crusaders. Okay, well, <laughs> that's what that's what we're going for, uh, or, or hoping for at least. All right, so we'll see how that goes there. Then, oh god, hate fest. War, Waratahs v Brumbies um, that evening. It's out at ANZ. Uh, I'm going to be there. You're going to be there, Barbara, aren't you? I'll be there. Nice. Yes. Um, Best press ANZ. box food in the country. Uh, at ANZ, gee, that'll. How many people will turn up? <laughs> now, see. Uh, this is this is one of those funny ones where people people sort of assume that because it's ANZ, it gets less numbers. It, it actually gets quite a good crowd at ANZ. They they average a lot higher there than they do at the SFS, and the reason's twofold. Firstly, they take out marquee games there. They put the Crusaders there occasionally. They put the Reds and they put the Brumbies. But also, I mean, it's, just, it's very specific to Sydney geography. But ANZ is actually a lot more accessible to. Um, call the vast, well, I wouldn't say the vast majority, but the majority of fans. Um, the SFS is is in Paddington. It's in town. It's a bit of a shit fight to get in, especially for the North Shore, where you know a lot of the rugby fans are. Where you got to drive in. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a mess. And ANZ, it, it actually is a lot easier. The the space is a lot easier to manage. So I think I'm I'm tipping they might get 25 plus there this week. Oh, I hope yes. so anyway. Wow, it's going to be pretty quiet in a stadium that hosts what. 85. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, the atmosphere is another issue. But, <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but, I mean, I, I think that's disappointing. I thought it was disappointing they only got 17,000 on Friday, uh, the other night. Mm. Yeah. At every week, you think, every week where everyone comes back, surely everyone, you know, everyone but, now realises that this task team is a real deal. Every week, it's the same. What do you reckon's holding the back here? Because I, I, I was surprised. I actually thought they might have got sort of 20 plus the yeah, other night. Look, I don't know. Look, I, I maybe I can't really explain it. I'd say the Stormers aren't a massive draw card team, maybe. I don't know. Um, but you know, the Reds did pretty well with the Sharks. But I feel like the Reds are going to get that crowd anyway. They've got such a good culture there. They've got such a good vibe that it, you know you could be playing the under-seven girls team and they'll still roll out 30,000. Um, 
the tars, I don't know. You just every week you keep looking for that excuse. Oh, it was a bit wet. Oh, it's a you know not a draw card team. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the vibes. I'm not is trying not to run the tars down there because, yeah. and I think Bill Pulver made some comments in his article this week or his interview with Greg Rowden this week that it's very important that we get crowds in Sydney. It's really, really important. I mean, we've got crowds in Brisbane. That's great. But we need the same crowds in Sydney. And, gee, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at people and going, 17,000 only went to that game. After they had such a magnificent win in South Africa, I'm hoping that their win last week and the fact that it's the Brumbies gets... I, I mean, I was hoping for... Well, and the thing is, the Waratahs home... The Waratahs' home performance has been really good, and they've had a couple of those last gasp wins. They had the, you know, kick after the siren against the Blues. They had the late try against the Chiefs. The Force was a bit of a real sort of bell ringer too. The Rebels—they've all been really great games. And you think, oh, everyone's going to be coming back next week, and they're going to be bringing their friends, but it hasn't happened yet. So hopefully this week we'll, we'll see it. That's what you got to hope for, I suppose. Okay. Alrighty. Well, and um, well, how do we see this one? Um... It's going to be fascinating. I mean, you've really got the, you know, super contrasting styles. Um, when, um, uh, you know, Nick White there was talking about they've got their strategies together, what are you expecting to see? Uh, surely we're expecting to see them go super hard at the ball, are we, Scott? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Brumbies go hard at the ball anyway. Mm. But, you know, you don't have to be Blind Freddy. <laughs> I think mean, Blind Freddy could work out that that's the vulnerability of the Waratahs. Mm. If they want to play quick ball, move it wide, spin it out to, you know, the Israels and and even the forwards running wider, they just don't have the numbers at the breakdown. And and that's a great opportunity because if you, you know, we often talk about disrupting the ball at source, at scrum or line out. Well, that's that's really important. If you disrupt the ball at the line out, and this is another issue. This is another area where the Brumbies will go hard. The Waratahs now after last week, are the worst attacking line-out in the whole competition. So they've fallen behind the force, whereas last week they were ahead of the force. The Brumbies will attack them hard and try to take their ball at the line-out. I think the scrum will probably be there'll be parity there, so they won't be able to attack them there. But then the second place they go after them is the breakdown. If you've got the ball, we will just flood that breakdown and either we'll, we'll try and do... One of two things. We'll either try and take your ball or slow it down because if we slow it down, then what's your plan? Now, how are you going to get the ball wide when it's slow ball? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that goes. Um, you know, that battle in there, you know, with George Smith, um, you know, with Hooper, um, some big, big boppers, you know, with um, Alua, uh, you know, versus Cliffy Palu. Um, going to be fascinating to watch. You know, the clash of the hookers. Um, Steve Moore, the Tafi plotter now. I mean, that's just going to be a, an amazing clash to watch. Um, and you're right. I think that the Brumbies are going to try and turn it into an absolute shit fight. Can be interesting yeah. to see the ref is there. Actually, could play quite a big um, part in it as well. It's but, our good friend Steve Walsh Jr. Is one it? of the best referees in the world. Oh, hello. Well, yeah. Well, I think he is. But you know <laughs> what? The, the beauty with all that is, and this is the real. This is what I find really fascinating. The Waratahs know exactly what the Brumbies are going to do. Mm. So what's your plan to get around it? What are you going to do? Mm. Uh, well, 
our, our friend uh, Michael Checker would have been thinking about that all week. So it's going to be fanta- you know, fascinating to see how that goes. Yeah, that's the fascinating part for me is mm. what plan does Checker have to nullify what we, everybody knows the Brumbies are going to do. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Did you guys see, by the way, uh, Checker's halftime uh, interview at, uh, you know, during the game last weekend? Yeah. Um, it was it was fantastic. He, I don't think I've seen anything as candid. You know, usually the coaches try and say, "Oh, yeah, we need to stick to our patterns and whatever else." He actually laid out what that pattern was. He said, "You know, we need to stop trying to you know go wide and go around them. Basically, we just got to work the edges." That's I just told him. You know, it's just you know work the little edges, which basically meant you know hitting it up off off around the ruck and kind of suck them in and, and draw them in rather than trying to walk and run into the brick wall. I mean, it was as simple as that, but he was also as co- you know as overt as that. I mean, I always think so. What you know, what's the harm in doing that anyway? You know, is the opposition got someone watching the telecast to feedback? You know what, what what's going to happen and how they're going to get that onto the field by then anyway. But no, I just he's he's such an open book when he answers those oh. questions, isn't he? Isn't he? I've got a bit of a, a rugby crush on him. <laughs> he's just you just sit in there with a press at uh, his press conferences and it's just like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. He he just oh he just is so unguarded with every single response. You know, with every question, he offers you something new that you've never seen before. It's it's great. Mm. So is, 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 oh, he, is it the opposite of that kind of bullshit bingo, is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He just, you know, even, you know, the uh, the last question, just as he was about to leave, was um, about Rob Horn's contract. And, you know, it was after a game and you thought, oh, geez, it's a contract question. This is just going to be fobbed off here. as oh, you know, that's a contractual thing. I don't want to talk about it. And he gave, you know, a really good, you know, five-minute, oh, well, talking about the challenges of, you know, how they're rejigging their, their, you know, wage system to make more match payments and more incentivized sort of um, cash and less based on salary. And it was just, I don't know, just he summed everything up in a way that I'd never really heard a coach do it before. And all that at the end of a press conference where he didn't really need to talk about it. So, you know, he just has a way of sort of, yeah, breaking through the bullshit. Mm. Nice to see. Um, all righty, and so that was so, so. Okay, so that's probably the uh, the main game. I think most of us would be looking forward to on the on, in that round. Um, Bulls Highlanders um, at Loftus. Um, what an upset! We <laughs> we want the uh, the Highlanders to give us something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that might be wish too far somehow. <laughs> Um, and then we've got the uh, cheaters um, hosting the Reds. That could be a cracker. What do you What are you expecting out of that, Scott? Oh, well, a cracker! I, I really am. Mm. Um, and it's a an absolutely vital game for the Reds. Mm. They, uh, I think, the Reds win this game. And I think with the tired Stormers coming back from their tour, and if the Reds get you know a fair bit of momentum out of this. They could well go two out of two from the tour, and that really sets them up to probably finish. Oh you know, well, depends what happens to the Brumbies Waratahs, but I'm thinking the Reds will finish fourth. But if they go down to the Cheetahs, oh, you know that that really puts them effectively it puts them down on the edge with the Waratahs, depending on what happens on Saturday night. Mm. Um, so this is a vital game. 
Uh, I didn't watch the Cheetahs and the Hurricanes on the weekend, so I don't know what went on there and how the Hurricane, uh, the how the Cheetahs are playing. But um, clearly high scoring. Yeah, mm. and look, they're two attacking teams. They're two teams that want to throw the ball around. If they both play like that for eighty minutes, this could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I, although I would back the Reds are the second best defensive team in the whole competition. So if it comes down to who can hold the other attacking team out, then the Reds probably have an advantage there. Okay. I, I don't want to overstate things with this game, but I th- almost think this is a must-win for the Reds. Mm. I think, the, as Scott said, they're in a, a slightly precarious position, and you've got to consider the fact that after the Wallaby squad is announced at the end of this week, I'm not sure what the date where they go in for camp is, but it's it's got to be coming up soon. And you think they'll be losing Genia, they'll be losing Horwell, they'll, you know, might be losing, I mean, they probably won't be losing Cooper, but they might be losing Cooper. They'll uh, dig Biwani, it's got to be a certain... Biwani, certain, they'll lose Slipper. Exactly, they'll lose Slipper. So all of a sudden, that decision-making core, the leaders are going to be ripped out of that team. And so it's a case of making hay while the sun shines. And... It's you know it's not going to be shining much longer, so they really need to chalk up these wins while they can. Okay. Alrighty, so I think that's the uh, kind of roundup of the week ahead. So just before we finished off, wanted to say, look, um, in last week's podcast, we asked for some feedback, and it's been brilliant. Uh, you guys really gave us a lot of feedback and, and let us know uh, about the you know what you liked about the the podcast. I mean, we put a. a poll up which asked you know what did people want as far as time wise so I think we've managed to produce another whopper tonight um, I think it's the Lions that's doing that but anyway um, you know we, I think most people voted to keep it the same so um, you know around an hour and a half sometimes up to two hours people seem to like that um, I talked to a few people and they said look you know you can always just press stop come back to it another time you don't have to listen to it in one go fair enough but 57% of people said leave it the same and then it was about 20% said about either splitting it up or making it shorter. Um, the one thing I would say is uh, with the lines coming up, we are talking about doing more than one a week, especially in the middle of it all. Um, so what we'll probably do there is make them a little bit shorter, um, but you'll be able to get one that's kind of a wash up after the weekend and then one that looks ahead to the next uh, weekend, especially when we've got those midweek games and all sorts of stuff going on. So um, we'll do more there. We will also do, it seemed to be a pretty warm reaction to the idea of getting some more listeners onto the podcast. Um, we've looked at some technology that's going to help us do that. Um, just like a lot of you guys threw in comments, please, um, you know, uh, see if you can take that up and help us throw in some comments and things like that we can start to work with. Um, and then we can start to mix it up a little bit more as well. You don't have to listen to our wanging on the whole time. And then finally, the last thing that someone asked was, can we please <clears throat> get rid of the sign-off um, that we've had for 100 um, episodes um, uh, about uh, you know, what we're going to be putting into people's ears? That's fair enough. I guess it's a pretty old joke by now. So if anyone's got a suggestion for what the sign-off should be, um, let us know. Um, otherwise, what I'll say tonight is um, thanks, fellas, for joining me. <coughs> Thank you. Um, Lovely another, to be here. Another great, great to have you on again, Hugh. Um, you had a few people asking for you to get back on, so it's good to have you. Oh, well, look, most of them were my family members under different names. <laughs> so uh, I, thank all, I thank them for uh, 
the support. Okay, so yeah, so Big Sam is actually your dad. Is that what you're saying? Oh, well, he's Samuel to me, but, uh, you know, if you want to call him that, then you're more than welcome. All right. And, and thanks for those who've downloaded and, and listened and everything else. Really appreciate it. And um, we'll see you next week. See you, guys. See ya. Yeah, right there, right there.